From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break. The playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You could build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratchers from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Hey everyone, before we get to this week's episode, we just wanted to note that we had some audio difficulties with the recording. We've tried to edit it the best we can, but we just, we won't sound our best this week. Apologies, but we hope you enjoy this episode. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. Um, this week, our guest is Tyler Liston. He is a writer for Nightmare on Film Street. Um, he is one of the nicest people that I know on Twitter. And he is also a horror fiction writer, Tyler. Is that correct? Is uh, attempting to be one. Yes. 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 I'm excited. I know you have um, um, a book coming up this year, maybe? Yes. It, right now it is uh, finished, and I'm ready to uh, you know shop it around a little bit. Uh, if not, I'll just be putting it out myself. So, yeah, it's coming out. Oh, it's so exciting. Can mm-hmm. you tell us what it's about? Yeah. Uh, a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little... Uh, if, you want, if you would like. No, no, no. It's, it's not like uh, I'm not being secretive. It's just a little convoluted. Um, okay. Uh, there's a small town here in Illinois where I'm from, and um, every it was founded by Swedish settlers back in the 1800s, and they keep to a lot of their uh, Swedish traditions, and one of them is St. Lucy's Night, which is usually like the week before Christmas, and uh, during that time, they light a bunch of candles and do this procession through this you know 150-year-old church where... 
they select a uh, like a St. Lucy girl who wears a crown of candles and is basically offered as the virginal sacrifice, you know, metaphorically. Um, the roots of that uh, holiday are um, ancient, and uh, St. Lucy uh, comes from the same root word as Lucifer, the bringer of light. Mm-hmm. So my book is exploring whether, you know, it's kind of what if this small town of like 50 people actually has Lucifer in the basement of the church and they are doing this as a uh, real sacrifice. And it really bummed me out when Midsummer came out. Because, <laughs> I was gonna say this sounds similar to me. Yeah, yeah, oh, no. yeah, yeah, sh- yeah. Shut up about it. no, um, <laughs> no. It, I was, I was, you know, forty thousand words deep into it when I read about uh, Midsummer, and I was like, okay, well, this is just fantastic. But um, everyone was really supportive. Had me keep going, you know, because once, you know, uh, full core is. Yeah, full core is amazing, and I feel like Midsummer just kind of like got people really excited for it and i think that'll just make it even cooler and yeah more, like, yeah the six people worthy. that read this book are gonna love it so it's gonna be great oh so exciting <laughs> and so when when do you think that's gonna come out um i'm looking for the spring but we'll see cool. i i have cool. crippling self-doubt so you know i've already you know <laughs> gone back to it 40 times and i'll probably do it another 20 so um but we're looking at the spring cool that's everything that's awesome. And uh, so you also do um, film criticism. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I write for Nightmare on Film Street, much like Miss uh, Mary Beth. Um, I've been doing that for two years now, and okay. it's been like the greatest experience of my life. I absolutely love it. It's uh, I don't do a lot of uh, reviews um, because I'm just not that smart. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. But like when when – I'm I'm like uh you know in the office when Andy Bernard's like ooh this muffin is bad you know that's kind of my <laughs> review style you know like it's like I really loved it or I really didn't like it but it takes me a long time to really kind of dig into why I didn't like something so okay um, but um every month I do kind of a true crime article which looks at the um the true horrors that inspired horror films throughout history and I also uh, do an article about uh, movie horror movie novelizations, where I'll read those, and some of those are wild, man. Um, but oh, I know. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll read through those, kind of pick the differences and what went right. It's really cool. It's really interesting because I've never really thought about horror movie novelizations at all, so I didn't really realize how big of a thing. Yeah, um, I I yeah, I really didn't know either until I just got into this mode of oh, I need to collect everything Halloween related. Ah, so you know, I I had gone through all you know, getting the vinyl, you know, and and you know the figures and the shirts and everything. I was like, oh, what's next? And then I found that they had novelizations of the first four Halloween movies and kind of tracking those down and finding all these kind of gems along the way is what drove me to it. Yeah. I, I, I've talked about this before um, a little bit on this podcast, but like when I was, when I was a kid, there was a time where all of a sudden my parents were really um, conservative with my movie choices, but they weren't so much with reading. So like a lot of times um, I would read the, the novelization that came out before I even got a chance to see the movie. I remember oh. Remember in particular cool. um, Jaws: The Revenge, oh. and which adds a voodoo shark to the mix. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, that's one of the more wild ones that I've read. Yeah, <laughs> it's got a it's got like a voodoo priest and and some you know sharks. Revenge is the motive. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. What? <laughs> it's yeah, it's wild. So. Yeah, puts a curse on him, and the shark is is potentially supernatural. But in, I guess it was in the original movie, and it got cut out or something, or they changed it. Or, Probably I don't for know. the best. Well, <laughs> I mean, kind of would save that movie. The movie's kind of a True, mess. True, But enough. um, the other one that that always came to mind uh, when I was reading uh was the um. Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. I had that book, and I was reading that before I ended up seeing the movie, which is probably my least favorite of the movies. 
Yeah, yeah. They actually came out with a like a combo just called the Nightmares, and it's got like one and two. And I'm gonna butcher this, but it, then it also combines like uh, Dream Warriors and Dream Child into another book. Um, oh, wow. And uh, you know, it, it they're so like those novelizations are fantastic because it they were based on you know earlier scripts so a lot of the like kills that you know freddie did um that didn't make it into the movie they were in the novelization he could still it was like getting something new you know in in that you know and um when i i just did halloween four um for nofs and it was word for word the exact same as the movie. So for a guy, you know, like you, Terry, that wasn't able to see the movie, you basically did see it if you were to read that. Yeah, it's 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 such a crazy time. Do they even do those anymore, novelizations as much? Um, no. Um, I, I remember, I, I work at uh, Barnes & Noble. So, you know, oh, okay. I see some on the shelf. Like, they had a Crimson Peak, which I should have picked up at the time. Oh. Um, and, you know, Alien is still on the shelf. That one will always be there. Um, but, yeah, they do still come out with some, but it's they're hidden on the shelf. you got to really track them down. Wow, huh? That's cool. Yeah, but some of those uh, some of those novelizations are uh, completely wacky, like you said, Terry. Uh, the Jaws: The Revenge that that is the worst movie I probably have ever seen. <laughs> um, so, like, literally, you could kid. yeah, you could wipe your nose on a sheet of paper, and it would be a better story. So, oh my God. Um, but no, it was it was that novelization was one of the wackiest ones. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, so, uh, what have you been watching recently, Mary Beth? Um, let me think. So I started a new job about a month ago and I've been a little bit busy. So my horror movie viewing has kind of done a a very intense plummet, unfortunately, but we haven't recorded since I've seen Bliss, which I have been told to see many times. I finally saw it. It's so and, fucking good. Right? Um, I am a vampire freak. Like, freak. And so I was, like, very excited to just see this because it reminded me a lot of the movie The Transfiguration as well as Vampire's Kiss. Um, the Transfiguration being a 2015 movie about um, a young black boy in Brooklyn who thinks he's a vampire and it's about him being obsessed with vampires and then um vampires kiss being a nicholas cage movie (laughs) that's like american psycho but like we even like less fucked up but also more fucked up in a way um joe bagos is fucking killing it this year yes um with i haven't seen vfw yet but like his visual style is insane and it's just like beautiful and then desi is beautiful and she's gorgeous everything is like just so incredibly my shit in that movie (laughs) and my boyfriend watched it with me and he was like that was certainly a film and i said it sure fucking was (laughs) (laughs) um so i loved it so everyone who was waiting for me to see bliss i am obsessed with it yay Um, have you seen it tyler i i have not seen it Oh, you need oh, to. so good. I mean, I know you have three children, so it's probably hard to watch movies, but it's real good. It's on, on Amazon, so it's, like, pretty easy to find. Um, and then, so this weekend, I was texting Terry about this. I had, like, a not early, like late 90s, early 2000s vampire movie, like, renaissance in my apartment, where I watched... Blade, the original Blade and the original Underworld for the first time, and let me tell you, I'm I'm hype. I'm on that train. I don't know what would have happened to me as a child if I had watched those movies when they had come out, because I would probably be a very different person in terms of just being like <laughs> real horny all the time. But good God, Blade. Stephen Dorff in that movie has awakened oh. a part of me that I have never known to be alive. <laughs> Yeah, we were we were uh, DMing back and forth, and that was the, I, I remember seeing that movie in theaters, and that was a time where I was like, "Hmm, I think I like boys," because he like, just like oozed sexuality. Like what the fuck? 
fuck? And then um, I watched Underworld last night, which like I had somehow missed. And I just love a stupid, stupid vampire movie where the, there's like so much lore that doesn't actually make any sense, but it's like so good and just like, oh man. Vampire movies with guns are always great. So it's so stupid. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so stupid. Tonight yeah. it's a full moon or something or something close to it. And I texted my boyfriend a picture and said, where the lichens at? And he's like, <laughs> you need to stop. <laughs> like, come through. <laughs> <laughs> where are the werewolves at? So um, that's what I've been doing with my, my time as of late. Um, I haven't really watched. I have, I'm now that I'm like getting back into the swing of having a full time job and like knowing how to have a an adult schedule. I'm starting to watch, like watch more movies again, but it's been a little bit of an empty time as I figure out how to be a human adult. <laughs> Terry, what have you sucks. Yeah, Terry, what have you been watching? I know you've been covering um, a couple festivals and stuff. I have been, um, but. The movie, there's two movies I want to talk about um, that <laughs> aren't from the festivals, but um, Eli? Oh my god! I forgot about Eli! <laughs> oh, why did I forget about that movie? Uh, have you have you seen Eli, Tyler? It's on, it's on, no, that's it's on the one on Netflix, Netflix right? Yes. Yeah. It <laughs> is the most <laughs> batshit bonkers movie I think I have, I have seen in a long time. Um, it's it, so it, it has like this core team that's really good. The director is the guy that did Sinister 2, the director Sinister 2. And then the script is co-written by the two people that did uh, the autopsy of Jane, of Jane Doe. And then also the guy that wrote Cheap Thrills. And oh. the movie feels like that kind of synergy. Because it is... The places it goes in that third act is just... Uh, it it floored me. It knocked me on my ass, and I'm like, "What the fuck am I even watching?" I, I was texting Terry. I was watching it. Um, it was like late at night, and I was like, "Oh fuck it, I'm gonna watch Eli." I was texting Terry at the end. I was like, "Is this really happening?" And <laughs> it was like a like a, like a thread of like all caps, being like, "This movie is so stupid. I love every minute of it." Like. It's so, like, the ending is just so ridiculous and, like, stupid that you can't help but love it because it's, like, what? It's <laughs> fucking perfect. It's fucking perfect. Like, I just, I can't even, I don't even know what to say. It's fucking perfect. Give me a brief synopsis. Okay. So. <laughs> if, if you can. <laughs> Eli is a boy in a bubble. Who is a- <laughs> I'm in. Just, so just stop stupid. it there. I'm in. It, he is deathly allergic to the outside world <laughs> <laughs> to the point that like anytime the air like there's one scene where he it, his little suit he goes out in like this um hazmat suit when he has to be carted around and there's one part where you kill him you hear that where um the suit gets ripped and the air gets in there and all of a sudden like his skin starts to like burn up like he's gonna burst into flames almost and so (laughs) his parents have found this doctor that that works in in some kind of gene therapy gene something or another and she can fix whatever ailment is 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 bothering him so they take him to this manner that looks like it's out of some 1930s gothic uh universal horror film yeah it's like almost like haunting of it's almost like the house and haunting of hill house yes exactly and he's inside this like hermetically sealed place where they're doing all these tests on him trying to get him well and he starts seeing something a, a ghost maybe that is like haunting the place and he starts to dig into what happened to the other patients that used to be here? And then it just goes batshit crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't. I can't. I, I remember t- um, when Matt Donato, he was he tweeted he was going to watch this movie. And I, I sent him a tweet. and was like, $100 says that you're not going to guess how it ends. And he started, like, sending me these tweets about, like, I think this, this. And I'm like, no, you're not. No, no, no. And he just was, like, absolutely floored by the end of it, too. So, like, it's... I, where it starts and where it ends are two completely different. Places. It sounds like four different movies, and I'm in. 
So it really is like four different movies. Yeah. And I was laughing because like I just really don't realize how stupid the movie sounds when you explain <laughs> it. He's a boy in a bubble who's allergic to outside and his parents take him to a haunted house. Like it sounds so dumb, but it's actually like very creative yeah. and very ballsy. Well, like the first the first part is kind of like a mix of of a of a typical ghost story with like a medical thriller because the kid yeah. thinks that that things aren't going as planned, but of course everyone else is saying it's just the medication you're taking that's doing it. So like there's that kind of paranoia with it that I think works really well and then there's the ghost story aspect that I think works really well. And yeah, and then there's the third part that just is absolutely amazing. Yeah, so everyone, please watch Eli. It's on Netflix. It's, like, not that long. It's a good, like, it's cold as shit. I don't want to go outside and, like, right. movie. It's worth watching for sure. And then, because I am a man of many tastes, we go from that to Parasite, which <laughs> I, oh my god, what a perfect movie. Tyler, have you seen Parasite? I have not. You guys are going to keep asking me, and I'm going to keep saying no, I haven't. But uh, um, I am just filled with jealous rage of everyone that has seen it. Um, it's one of those that, you know, it's it's not really playing around me. And yeah. I just haven't oh, yeah. had a chance. The only reason I was able to see it is because um, the Alamo Draft House, where I'm in Omaha, where I'm at, uh, they did a one night like advanced screening of it, and then I think it might have opened limited there. But like, if it weren't for Alamo, there's a ton of movies that I just I would not have any opportunity of seeing. Um, but man, what a good movie! Um, I, I went to go see with a, with a couple friends that um, had never um, seen a Korean horror film. Oh, and so bo- oh boy, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and so, like it, you know, the the one thing I like about um, the the filmmaker in in particular, Bong Joon Ho, and and Korean cinema in general is that they take a movie and they take a different genres and somehow jury rig them together to the point that like it starts out as one thing and then becomes something completely different so in the beginning of parasite it's this kind of funny story about these uh, this this group this family that's that's poor um inserting themselves into the life of this rich family mm-hmm. and kind of um grifting them for for money and it's it's very funny my friends were laughing the entire time and at one point my friend was like i thought this i thought this was like a a thriller and i'm just like you just just wait it'll get there it'll get there and it's it's such a i think it's probably one of his most accomplished films and i I love his work i would agree i think like this one is much like more deliberate and like it's and that sounds weird because like bong joon ho is such a good writer and such a good director and all of his movies like have a lot of purpose they like have a lot of things to say but mm-hmm. they can be a little messy in a way that i like but like Snowpiercer's messy yes uh, um the host is a little like tonally messy um it is and but like that's not a, i mean i still love those movies but parasite oh, yeah. feels like it hits every beat at the perfect time like it feels just like like you said one of his most accomplished movies like he's finally really figured out how to time his narratives and like make all of his points and yeah that it just was like so much more polished i feel like than any of his previous movies even visually like the cinematography in this movie is just like so many clean lines oh it's, it's just it's just so razor sharp yes whole thing i i i think it's it just it blew me away and i was going in with like really high expectations because everyone has been like shouting about it from the film festivals and all the early premieres so i'm like i'm going in with my my height meter to the roof and it still exceeded it i i think it's great i think it probably spoiler alert might be my favorite movie this year yeah and like i was really worried about the um the hype because so many i mean we've all been ruined by the hype machine before yeah um and it's a little scary to go into something that like I'm very excited about. Like I love Korean horror, I love Korean thrillers, and I was like, oh, this is gonna be one of those movies that's like probably really tonally jarring to some people. Like Burning was very like um, very different movie, but I feel like it was like the big Korean movie last year, which is weird that I even have to say that. <laughs> but like it was like the movie that everyone talked about, but it was very polarizing. I feel like Parasite is not polarizing. I feel like I haven't really seen any negative things about this movie. Yeah. So I, everyone should see it. It's like 
Oh, it's just so good. It's really well at the box office too, surprisingly for like a yeah, it's doing really movie, well, which is really nice. Um, yeah. Okay. So oh. what? Go ahead. I was talking about wounds. Actually, I wanted oh. to talk about wounds. Yes. Because so wounds came to Hulu. Um, it's the new Babak Onvari movie. He did um, Under the Shadow. And so he did Wounds, which is with Army Hammer and Dakota Johnson. And it's based off of a short story by Nathan Ballingrud, who is one of my absolute favorite um, short story, or one of my favorite authors, really. It's based on his short story, The Visible Filth. Um, and it's this really weird story about a shitty bartender in New Orleans who finds a phone um, left others at the bar where he works and what he finds in that phone it's awful and it's kind of him trying to deal with what he finds in that phone but also realize that he's kind of a bad person and it's a really interesting story and like Nathan Belling, Bellingsred um, has a really interesting style of writing where he's very focused on his characters and it's very introspective um, and very negative and I think that it mostly works in the movie. I think, like, the chemistry between the performers, like, Army Hammer and Dakota Johnson is, like, not very good. So, like, their their line delivery between one another, like, is yeah. not very convincing. I, like, in the, I wasn't the, sure if it was the, the script or the acting because there was – some of the some of the lines they had to say were, were a little yeah, and, like, iffy, that's, but then – That's the thing with his short stories. Like, his dialogue is very, like, clipped. It's very short. So, like – the dialogue that they say in the movie is almost like lifted from the short story, but it doesn't oh, it? feel as clipped. It doesn't feel like as emotionless. Like I don't read it that way. Mm-hmm. I think like it's hard maybe to deliver those kinds of like very emotionally charged but short pieces of dialogue because I think there's a lot of emotion that like Nathan write, Nathan Ballingsword writes with that you can't. It might be hard to kind of portray as a person. Yeah, I don't know. I like also like I'm obsessed with his writing and like I, I yeah, <laughs> I am. I picked up um, the audiobook of of um, the Wounds uh, series uh, short. Oh story yeah, series. the anthology. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I've listened to the very first story in it yet, but I haven't gone to the Wounds one. The Atlas I, of Hell. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I really I really dug that one. Um You have to read the Butcher's Table. I'm getting a tattoo from the Butcher's Table from that sort of story. It's so fucking good. Yeah, the, the audiobook is actually really good too. They um the they have different um narrators reading each story, it seems oh, cool. like. Um but the the guy that did the first one is was did a fantastic job. Um but I, I haven't I haven't listened to any more other than the, the first story, but I'm looking forward to it because it was one of those things where I, I, I watched Wounds, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's a messy movie. I don't think it's perfect. Oh, absolutely not. Um, but, like, there's something there that I wanted to see more of, and so well, that's... yeah, and, like, the problem that I had with it is that, like, they didn't actually mention, like, the core part of the story. Like, they don't explain to you really, like, what is happening and mm-hmm. it's weird like it's very I, ambiguous should i not spoil it should i like i not do yeah spoilers? Let's, let's not spoil okay. it but but basically like maybe like, we should dig into it more on a upcoming yeah but like the main cast. thing that's happening like it's really not explained in the movie about like the specifics of what's going on but in the short story it is and oh, okay in the short story it makes a lot more sense and i think it like and it's like i don't know the whole thing just makes a lot more sense to me um Nathan Ballinger also got me really into the idea of like fucked up angels and like I tweeted about this like representations of angels as bad and like nasty and mm. I have become like very interested in that idea of like the figure of the angel being like not a nice figure but actually something like very grotesque um, which is something he writes a lot, especially in Wounds, that short story collection. It's like very religious, like focused on the idea, like a very different idea of hell and heaven, which I think is really interesting. Cool. Yeah. What about you, Tyler? Have you been watching anything recently? Well, as uh, you guys have mentioned, I have three children in diapers. <laughs> so uh, my uh, movie watching time is is uh, non-existent. 
Um, but what I have done in the past week is I've gone back to some of my favorites. So I'm, I'm having trouble finding time to watch new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back and finding, you know, the, the joy that I felt while watching some of these older ones have been, you know, has been what I've been focusing on. Um, awesome. so, so this past, uh, week I've watched, uh, the witch for the 800th time. Yes. Um, I, I am such a slut for the witch. Um, <laughs> I, 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 lo- I just, me and my wife. Uh, went and saw it in the theater when it came out and and she hated it and oh really well she was expect you know the the trailers and the ads that came out on tv were promising a scarier movie okay and that's, oh, what, that's okay yeah yep. and that's what she was expecting and i'm just sitting there like sitting up in my seat and drooling the whole time um <laughs> So that one is almost on constant uh, rotation at the house. But the other one that I checked out uh, this week, which it had been maybe, I don't know, five or six years since I've watched it, was the original Shudder um, from uh, 2004 the um, from Thailand. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. Um, not the one with, um, you know, Roy in it, um, but uh, – and Joshua Jackson – uh, but, uh, oh my God, that's right. yeah, Holy the original, but, you know, directed by the two guys whose names I would just slaughter. So I won't even try. Yeah. Um, I forgot it was, for, I forgot it was from Thailand. What, what is this? Uh, Shutter? The know. one, um, there was a really shitty American remake yeah. where it's like the guy takes pictures and like a ghost girl. Uh, is in it. It's like, uh, it's spectral photography time. ghosts. Um, yeah, it's, uh, like I mentioned, it was Joshua Jackson who is handsome, but, like if he's not in fringe, I'm not watching it. So, um, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, this, this photographer and his girlfriend are driving in a car and they run over a woman and they look back and whatever, you know, it's kind of spooky or whatever, but it turns out that this, um, black form spirit is showing up in his pictures and it really, um, uh, it turns out the the girlfriend does some some investigating and finds out that it was an old classmate of his that is haunting them. It's it's probably one of the scariest um, movies. I, I I get scared easily. So I mean, obviously we're talking about Ghostbusters two in this podcast. So like I get scared <laughs> pretty easily. Um, but um, just the imagery of you know the ghosts in the pictures is just it it just it drives me wild and it's one of my favorites. Yeah, it is really, it is really good. Mm-hmm. I watched it early. I watched it for the first time earlier this year. Yeah, is it readily available here in the states? The um, I had to I dig bought... out an old DVD copy that I had from. Okay, it's on Netflix. Ago. Is oh, it no. really? It's, oh, on Vo- it's on Voodoo too. I spent so, so much better. time going through my binder. Like what, what the heck? Say, is it called a shut? The original one called Shutter. Then if I if I look. Yeah, like S H U T T E R. It's on Netflix. Yes. Okay, I'm gonna have to go watch that. Yeah, it's really good, and it's pretty short too. It's really it's like good. not very yeah. long. It's very much in the like the vein of like the Ring and those mm-hmm. kind of like creepy technology is pretty fucked up movies. Um, but it's done really well and like in a really eerie way. Mm-hmm. I vaguely remember the American remake, and I just assumed it was another Japanese uh, redo. Mm-hmm. You know, like the because it came around yeah around the same time as like. Or a little bit after maybe the ring and, and yeah it was like ring ring two and then they did like um the eye and all those the they, they came out with the, the, the american versions and you know they're all fine i i am i love the ring the american version i thought you know that's one yeah of my jams but um yeah it's a good one yeah but it, it came out after that there was they were kind of riding the wave so but yeah, no, I, that's uh, that's what I've been watching. Usually, when we get the kids to bed, I'm instantly asleep. Um, that's that's valid. <laughs> yeah, so so it's either I put on like uh, you know um, forensic files or you know something murdery uh, to fall asleep cool. to. But that's uh, but because uh, sometimes, like I mentioned, I get really scared. So if I were to put something on, even as batshit crazy as Eli sounds, I wouldn't be able to sleep. So oh, that, that's a middle okay. of the day type of thing for me. Gotcha. Well, now that we kind of talked about what scares Tyler, maybe we start talking about the movie he's brought with him today to talk about. What did you bring with you, Tyler? 
Well, um, a lot of late 80s nostalgia is, Hell yeah. is what I brought with me. Um, obviously, I selected Ghostbusters 2. It's the very, it's my first memory, really, um, of my life is seeing this in theater back in, huh. back in 1989. Um, I was born in 80, I was four years old when this came out, so this was like the first movie I ever saw. Um, my, in my grandparents, uh, took me and, uh, as we are going to discuss, it uh, was the worst decision of their life. But, uh, my, my introduction really to the really spooky was Ghostbusters 2. Huh. So before we, um, jump in to the specifics, we just, if any of you guys haven't seen Ghostbusters 2, um, want to give you a little bit of a synopsis, uh, about what it's all about. Um, so it turns out the Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 are on par with superheroes because unlike Tony Stark, they had to deal with the repercussions of the destruction they caused in the first film. Now the Busters are broken up and doing odd jobs to keep afloat, but all that changes when Dana, Sigourney Weaver... Um, Dana's son Oscar gets targeted by a possessed painting of Vigo the Carpathian. Vigo, who on a mountain of skulls in a castle of pain, sat on a throne of blood, wants Oscar to be reborn. Hijinks ensue with the river of slime rolling underneath New York City that is feeding on the negative emotions of the citizens. But with the help of the Statue of Liberty and Bobby Brown's On Our Own, that didn't age well, (laughs) the Busters defeat Vigo and his season of evil forever. This movie is insane. insane. It, yeah, I mean, just hearing you say that, you know, it it sounds pretty pretty wacky. And and before we get any farther, like Bobby Brown, not a good dude, but that song no. fucking that slaps. A bop. Like <laughs> that shit still crushes, and I play it almost <laughs> daily. Uh, and I'm supporting a terrible dude, but still, I just can't, I can't let it go. Well, it's an iconic moment. They have the Statue of Liberty walk down the street, and it's like, and somehow instead of terrifying New York City, it's inspiring them to not be angry. <laughs> um, it's just like, wild. So, Tyler, what, what was the scene or scenes that scared you the most? Like, why was this such a scarring experience for you to see Ghostbusters 2? Well, for me, being four when I saw it, I, I didn't really get the humor. Okay. Um, you know, there's a lot of, and especially, you know, because I'd seen the original Ghostbusters, but I think I had, like, the edited for TV on a VHS with commercials, you know, version. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, and I was also a huge fan of the real Ghostbusters, you know, the cartoon that had come out a couple years before Ghostbusters 2 came out. And, um, going into this, obviously, you know, I had all the toys and I was playing around and it was always, you know, something light and, and fun. And then when I went and saw this with my grandparents, um, the scene where Dana is giving her son a bath. Um, And and the pink ooze start. See, I had just graduated from the grandma's going to give me a bath stage in my Uh life. So I was riding solo after that. So (laughs) it was was terrifying to me. You know, they have this pink ooze that comes out and it looks kind of silly, you know, now when you watch it. But it looks like uh, some form of puppet that they used uh, in yeah. the film. Yeah, like the tub kind of bend. It, it, it's like powerful and it, it lunges after them. As, and like now, I watched it today because I'm I'm good at working ahead. Um, <laughs> so I finished it today and uh, now when I watch it, I'm just like, damn, Dana, all right. You know, because she you know, oh, takes so off her shirt. Weaver. She's like in the bra. I'm like, what's up, girl? But... But when I'm four, I'm just like, oh, my God, the bathtub is going to eat that baby. And that's going to be me when I get home later. Um, so that scene was – there's a lot of stuff that in it that really just uh, got to me. Um, one of the biggest, uh, besides the bathtub scene, was was just Vigo himself. Yeah. Um, yes. He's, um, he's still pretty creepy. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, 
uh, Deadspin, I think it was, had an article maybe four or five years ago about just yes, how 2015. I was going to bring that. Oh, up. were you? Yeah, it, it was. It, it was about how just how terrible that actor was as a human. Which, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The article says that they called him the son of a Nazi soldier, a boxer, professional wrestler, failed actor, criminal, and to quote, a miserable human being who was never so happy as when he could make someone else hate him. Wow. And you can kind of feel that, you know, it, it's not really his voice in the movie, um, but just the, like, you know, his stare, you know, when he's the, the painting and um, when he's actually coming out of the painting and trying to possess little Oscar, like, you can feel this dude just had some evil in him, you know, and uh, and that, that came through when you were a kid. Yeah, I, I remember um, as a kid really uh, being affected by by that painting it just mm-hmm. it's very um it's very um ominous and, yeah and forbidding it's like uh threatening i guess uh, almost you know yeah. like his his stance in it and you know the the scrunched eyebrows and the the look like hey i'm gonna wreck your world type of look um yeah i mean even watching it today i was like i'm 34 and i was like oh yeah <laughs> So, yeah, so you kind of mentioned this, but um, his they ended up having to edit out his his lines and dub over him because he his voice was slurred and indistinct, and so the voice you're hearing is actually Max von Sydow. Oh wow, I did not know that. Yeah, and apparently neither did he because he discovered at a screening and then stormed out of the theater. <gasps> oh, that's rough. Yep. Oh, that's rough. Um, it, we'll we'll definitely link to that Deadspin article in the in the show notes because yeah. it's, it's definitely worth a read. It's it's a fascinating. I reread it again today, and I was like, man, that is that the guy's like we're talking. He raped his sister's mother, like, and there was a thought that maybe he was his sister's father. Oh my god! Like what in the hell horrible, horrible. And just and just like he was like the like his dad was. Um, uh, guard at uh, Buchenwald, I think. Um, oh, yeah. Oh my! Like, like super, um, you know, Hitler Youth type of stuff. But um, right. And then, and then came over as a wrestler and wrestled with his dad, and then raped his stepmom. And yeah, it was just it's just a bad dude. And obviously, you don't know those things when you're in 1989 watching the movie. But um, I, there's a part of me that's watching. And it's like, oh my god, you can totally. See Oh yeah. No wonder he gives off such a nasty vibe. Like he really does like give off a very like evil, awful vibe. Huh. Right. And that like coupled with like the silliness of Janusz, like his little yeah. handler is like Forgive me, Lord, you know. Uh uh it, it's a weird kind of juxtaposition of like true evil and then just like silly little man, you know. So I actually, this is my first time watching it was yesterday. I'd never actually seen Ghostbusters 2 because I just kind of figured it wouldn't be good. But I was mistaken. I actually very much enjoyed it. But one, all of those men are very attractive. Um, I'm sorry, this is a very thirsty podcast for me today, apparently. <laughs> like, I keep talking about how attractive everyone is. Harold, Ram- Harold Ramis, um, he's so cute. He's so cute. Um but this one just felt like a little all over the place, which sounds weird because like Ghostbusters is like not really like a very feasible and it's a very outlandish plot. But for, for some reason with like the weird added romance plot with Dana, I just like wasn't as much of a fan of that. It just felt like it was trying to be like a lot of movies at one time. And that's, you know, the original script that they had written um, didn't have Dana in it. It was um, like a new love interest for Peter, Um, like a separate woman. Um, I don't remember the the character's name that they tried to do, but they they tried that and it just didn't really work. And then they tried like a script where Dana goes to Scotland and finds some fairy stones and then goes to this underworld that they have to go and save her from. You know, so, you know, they tried a lot of different things, but I think what you're saying is they had to go back and refilm a lot of stuff. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Like segments like the ghost train underneath in the subway, that yeah. was kind of added in afterwards, I believe. 
and um, like the uh, Janine Lewis romance was kind of added in later and kind of made them more like the cartoon characters. Yes, okay. I, I was gonna okay. I was gonna bring that up because you mentioned the cartoon. I was a huge fan of the cartoon too, and that that cartoon actually influenced a whole lot about this movie because um they because of that they added Slimer back in because he was such a, a big part of the cartoon show and they made it a little bit more kid friendly um and it worked for me as a kid I remember as a kid I really really loved this one more so than the first Ghostbusters that. I kind of I thought at the time was kind of boring, but um, it, it turns out that like a lot of that was just over my, <laughs> you know, my <laughs> head as a kid. I was saying, yeah, like I didn't catch, you know, like uh, Ray's zipper going down in the bed. Like I didn't understand right. that the ghost was giving him a beach. You know, I don't, you know, <laughs> when I'm when I'm a few years old, like I don't know these things. And just uh, watching this one, even you know, a lot of the jokes went completely over my head as a kid. And now I'm watching, I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of funny. They're so yeah. funny. Like, they are hilarious. The comedic timing and, like, just the jokes they tell that are, like, very quick. It's just, I love their sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I was a big fan were... of, uh, as a kid, my favorite was actually Winston. Oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, obviously, in the first movie, he had a bunch of his stuff cut out, um, and he wasn't very happy about it. Uh, but yeah. um, he's a, obviously a big part of the uh, cartoon Mm-hmm. Um, voiced by Arsenio Hall, which is kind of oh, wild. which is kind of wild, but um, but it, yeah, I, I I read a story today that Ernie Hudson actually auditioned for that, and they gave it to Arsenio Hall. Like, oh, shit. it's like it's actually my character, bro. Like, <laughs> but anyways, uh, but he's in this one more, so that one that really made me love this one uh, more than the first. Really, okay, that's interesting, but a good reason. So you were so you saw this in the in movie theater. You were four, which which is kind of um, a theme that we're seeing here, because um, Mary, Mary uh, Molly Henry was four when she saw Nightmare on Elm Street, and weren't you four? I was four when I saw Jaws. Yeah, y'all so are watching I- actually scary movies at four though, like. <laughs> Like that, that age seems to be a, a ripe one for um for for kinder trauma. It's interesting. Um, how how do you remember the theatrical experience much? I I do really. Um, it's it's weird the the little things that I do remember. Um, I remember that we went to Hardee's and uh, oh wow, you got like a little toy. So I got the, I've got to bring the toy in with me from my kids' meal. Um, but you know, growing up in a small town, it was just like a one screen theater. Um, that is now a goodwill if that tells you how big the place is, you know? So, um, I remember sitting down in the dark and seeing these characters that I loved. Um, and then it's just this terrible things started happening to them. And, uh, I remember crying. And uh, we eventually left um, right about where Oscar was abducted. Ah. And, oh, so you left the theater at that Yeah. Point. Well, I was just hollering like crazy. So my grandparents <laughs> were like, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> like this kid's an embarrassment to our family. So, yeah. So, no, I, I remember uh, leaving early and not actually catching it until a few years later. Okay. And mm-hmm. that was like a, a VH, the VHS copy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. And what did you think uh, then when you were a little older? Um, I it it wasn't as scary, you know. When I was six or seven, when I watched it again, it, it I knew what was going to happen. I knew the tub. Mm-hmm. I knew the headless dudes in the subway. I knew about Vigo, and uh, it seemed like different things scared me about it. Um, mm-hmm. Instead of those, like kind of overt here's something scary. What really got me the second time I watched it was the brief glimpses of Vigo that you see in the photographs when they're in their dark room before it catches oh, on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, Peter's taking these pictures and, you know, being funny because he's Peter. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, they're developing them and, and these photos go up. It's kind of like shutter actually. It's kind of a tie yeah. in there, but like his face is kind of morphing into something, more alive it's kind of almost running into something and you don't see it for very long but i remember watching it when i was in first or second grade 
And that really bothered me. And then later in the film, when he kind of possesses Ray, um, Mm -hmm. and he becomes like this bloated version of himself before they hose him down, um, with his little bloody stumps of horns coming out of his head. I had not seen that before. But that whole oh, okay. that whole face morphing, yeah. you know, the painting coming to life kind of thing is what bothered me the second time. Fair. It is mm. pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um I, I it's it's surprising to me. This came out in eighty nine and it was rated PG. Not PG thirteen, PG. And I don't think this movie would be PG today. No, I don't think it would either. I don't think it should be. I think they um, only cared about the language, you know, like back then. There's no there's no blood and there's no language, so slap a PG on it. That's true, but it is, like, pretty intense. Like, thematically intense. Well, I, I remember this. What, what stuck, stuck out to me this time when I was when we were when I was watching it this weekend was um, the the scene when they right before the ghost train, and all of a sudden they're surrounded by all these heads on spikes. Yes. And I'm like, oh, this is this is kind of kind of dark. <laughs> it's definitely um, creepier than the first one. Like, I feel like they definitely like tried harder to make it creepier. If that makes you think sense. so? I don't know. I guess I guess I just like, maybe because I haven't seen it before, but it felt creepier to me. Yeah. Maybe because I'm so familiar with Ghostbusters and just love Ghostbusters so much that like I don't find it creepy. And I that's just, probably I remember... something to do with that. I just remember the scenes in the, the original Ghostbusters that that terrified me was like when Dana's in the chair and all of a sudden the hands tear out of the chair and start like grabbing her and pulling on her. Yeah. And like there's just there's there's so many scenes like that that I that I was like, "Oh, this is this is kind of even grim." And I I it just it felt like this one was a little bit more um slapstick silly, um like the, yeah. the the slime and everything. But that that scene in the underground just really i think is still a a fantastic uh thrill yeah i i I had read something today that um the original script that they actually came they was like okay this is the final here only had um vigo and um like one other ghost in it um they had really pared back because you know in the first you have the librarian and you've got the the spooky you know the taxi drivers and then obviously Slimer, even though he wasn't Slimer at that point. But, um, uh, so some of those reshoots that they did was like the, the heads in the subway, the ghost train and stuff like the guy jogging, the montage of them getting back together with those dope ass, like gray suits that they had that they right. stopped wearing, even though they looked way much, way better. Um, but you know, so adding, adding more ghosts into it to make it more like the cartoon. Because if you like the cartoon has some dark shit in it. Um, like there's a whole episode where they go to hell, you know, and, um, oh boy. yeah. And, and even the toys that they came out with were pretty, pretty wild. You know, like the, they had, you know, they they went into this whole, like, let's make every type of thing a ghost. So I had like a toilet that turned into a ghost toy. And, you know, it's like in werewolves and stuff. So they had a ton of different stuff that they tried to kind of stuff into this one. And it made it a little disjointed and it made it feel a little more slapstick, as you said. I, you know, I, I still think that the uh, the court scene with the... the two, oh, the Scolari brothers. Scolari brothers. I, I am I'm really impressed with the effects they did yeah. on that. Even today, like, I, I really enjoyed that that sequence. And, and there's something to be said for, and you know, I don't want to get into like the new Ghostbusters. You know, I I I liked it, but I usually get yelled at when I say that I like it. I love the new Ghostbusters. Yeah, I, well, okay, yeah, I'm glad you're on my side, Mary Beth. So, um, but uh, Terry, Terry, yes, you're being you're very being very quiet. quiet. Oh, you can't hear me. No, I'm asking you what. <laughs> Oh, oh. <laughs> no, I said I, I love it. I oh, love okay. the new one. I didn't think you said anything, and I was like, your silence oh, is disturbing no. me. No, 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 I really enjoyed it. Okay, good. Yeah, it, it, it was fun. 
But where it kind of lost me was some of, you know, it was just strictly CGI. And and I understand. Yeah. We, we have the ability to do that. But when you look at, like, the Scolari brothers in Ghostbusters 2, you can tell those are, like, two dudes in suits that they filmed. And then, you know, they did their movie Ghost Magic and put them out on the <laughs> screen, you know. And... Well- there's it, something to be said about the power of practical effects, though. Yeah. Like, I just feel like practical effects... It's a natural a, movement that they're making, you know, yeah. even when they're in their chairs, like, strapped down to the electric yeah. chairs, you know, they're actually yeah. making real movements. Will, it's not over the top. I will always champion practical effects. I, I think that they are are better than, than CG. Even when they don't look as good as CG, they still yeah. feel grounded and real. Yeah, I and, feel like bad practical effects are better than bad... Like, like leagues better than bad CGI because at least you can, like you said, Terry, like seek some kind of like life underneath of them or like realize that they're they are like in the physical world, so it's not as jarring if they're bad. Yeah, I what, feel like. when I watch like uh, it, you can see that like when you watch um, Fellowship of the Ring and then you watch The Hobbit, like oh, oh you can comparison. see you can see the difference. Um, you know, yes. the Orokai or whatever they are. And then they, you know, they're actually people in suits. And then yeah. in the later Hobbit films, Legolas is like jumping on air. There's no weight to it. There's no like There's reality no to it. So yeah. it really takes you out of it. It's just like a giant green screen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that, I think that is um, one of the, the more um, appropriate criticisms of the newer Ghostbusters is is that they uh, they focused way too much on way too much on CG. Yeah, um, but and it I, was fun, but it just there is something to be said, like you said, with a puppet Slimer. You know, it's just better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there there should be like a happy medium between the two. Um, I mean, we we obviously have the ability now to do corrections and do that kind of you know post processing stuff that like makes it look shiny and, and nice. But I I think I think that there should be some kind of nice medium between being able to do practical effects and then maybe embellishing them. It w- it was my biggest criticism of uh, it chapter two as well. Um, oh yeah, it was a little. It was just uh, nothing felt real because nothing was real, and that's my complaint about both of those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, yeah, you got the good jumpy, you know, something's coming out of the dark. But when it's a eight foot tall woman with mouths on her, like it just it's not that doesn't feel anything for me. You know, unlike you know, as shitty as you know, nineteen ninety was the original. It you know, it 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 was at least in the world and you could you could actually feel that fear uh coming from the characters too yeah mm-hmm. um so this was your first time seeing this mary beth it is that was what you said? my first time seeing this yeah and um and you really you, you enjoyed it a lot right i did enjoy it um yeah what was i gonna say i totally forgot I did, I did really enjoy it. I definitely enjoyed it more than I expected. I just kind of always assume that sequels like that aren't going to be enjoyable um, or worth my time. But I, after Tyler wanted to watch it, I was like, okay, then there's something to this. And I actually really enjoyed it. I don't, I mean, I think I just kind of impose my own biases against <laughs> sequels on it. But I mean, it's the same crew and it was awesome. I guess like, it was great to see Sigourney Weaver in it again. I was a little bit annoyed with her being like in love with Venkman because that's just me watching movies and being like, she was so resistant in the first one. Like, why did we have to I add know. this narrative? And like, ha- and like, it's fine that she's a mom. Like, I love, I love me like a good single strong mom and horror narrative. But like, I guess it just kind of got on my nerves a little bit that all of a sudden, like, she's the central um, romantic interest. I would have loved to have a movie with her in it just like not maybe as a romantic interest but this is just me like with my obsession with that kind of thing no i completely i completely agree um this time watching it uh i'm sorry what were you gonna say tyler i was just gonna agree as well like she she went from they had this like kind of funny witty banter when he first shows up to her apartment and he's you know talking to oscar he's like did was your dad stinky you know, was your dad ugly like you? You know, I love that. Yeah, it's yeah. like, um, but then she goes from like rebuffing him and realizing, hey, this dude was never going to commit to me to their on a date and making out within like two days. Yeah, and that was just like a little bit frustrating to me because I feel like her whole character has been built around this like kind of 
I'm independent. And like her being a single mom, like kills with that. Like I'm independent. Like I don't need support from a man all the time. Like I am a badass and can do this all by myself. And it's like completely undercut almost immediately. That's one thing I, I, I definitely noticed this time around because the first time that we, that she's, introduced back and talking with with egon she's like does he talk about me and like who who is this this isn't the dana i know and that was my problem with it and it also comes from you know she's had at this point she's done alien and aliens so like sigourney weaver's this badass and then she's like just this love starved sick puppy that's like oh i just wish she would have said yes to marrying me i'm like no (laughs) She's like, oh, you never asked me. I was like, you should, you should have said no anyway. You know, yeah, the dude's a bum. Like, come on, dude is a bum. He, he's he's cute and he's funny, but he's definitely a bum. So, he'd be uh, exhausting, I think, to live with. He would yeah. be exhausting. Like, it would just be like constantly joking, and you'd be like, okay, get it. Like, ha ha ha. Please wash the dishes. You are a slob and you are disgusting. Please, for the love, the love of God, don't no, wrap my baby in a Jets like- jersey. You know. <laughs> <laughs> one thing i did like is when we we see him again and he is the host of that uh this the psychic talk oh, show yeah and he's interviewing the one guy who's saying that the world is going to end on new year's eve and he was kind of right okay i was thinking that like are we just never going to revisit that 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 guy predicted the future like, like we're not i want to see a t- movie with him but like it's it's something that they that they continued from the first film because there's this one part in in the first film where they're doing tests on on psychic abilities yeah yeah, yeah. and the kid is is always one card ahead of everyone of like what they're saying and so like they're like ah he doesn't have that ability but he's literally like a card ahead and i so it kind of was like a nice little callback to that that this guy basically said yep you know we're we're fucked come (laughs) one january and uh i mean that's that's kind of how the movie uh... yeah and he's like yeah doesn't it just from a sales perspective you know that's (laughs) like come on kind of push it out a few years but no yeah i really uh you know that's that's a show that i would watch probably if it were real so like that's kind of my jam and uh also you know that and you bring that up but seeing them living their non-ghostbuster lives was really fun to me as an adult going back and watching this because mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure when i was a kid i was just like why aren't they driving around and shooting ghosts with their proton packs you know? <laughs> but um you know egon doing his thing at the theoretical research place and um ray and winston at the birthday party i thought that was fantastic you know and ray owns an occult bookstore that is my life like that is my my dream dream. yeah like he's just sitting there reading spooky shit all day and selling occult books like that yeah that watching it as an adult i'm like i would like to be any of these people but it also made me a little bit sad because it was like I mean, we mentioned it a little bit in the synopsis, like they're facing the consequences, which is kind of cool to see them face those consequences of like the destruction. But also at the same time, it's so sad to see their passion get kind of like (laughs) ripped away from them. I guess that's just me being like in my late 20s and like (laughs) thinking thinking about like the future and just like the like the pain of having something like that ripped away from you is so sad and like having to go to having to go to like kid parties and have kids like laugh at you and then have people say like not understand that what you did was save the city and i don't know it made me feel very sad which is like so weird it's just ghostbusters too but i was like oh man this is awful like what a like awful thing to have like what you love to do completely like ridiculed and it made me feel so sad <laughs> Yeah, when uh, obviously I've never lived in New York. I I lived in Chicago for a while while when I went to college. But um, like, how quick does someone? It's only five years. Like that's a like a nine eleven level. I know that might be blasphemy, but that's like a huge thing that a big marshmallow man was, you know, like walking through, you know, America's largest city. Like everyone forgot. Like, and, like the, and all the ghosts that came out, like, yeah. obviously it was, like, a citywide problem. And that's one of those things that's, like, you would think everyone would remember. And, like, society would be forever changed. Yeah, they, there should be statues, like, of these dudes. But, you know, they got kids yelling He-Man in their face. And, um, you know, the mayor. <laughs> I don't know the name of the actor, but the guy who plays the um, the assistant. 
Yes, he's in everything. He's just. I don't. The, I, I know. I just know him from Psych because that's one of my wife's favorite shows. But um, he uh, he just plays the the oily, you know, piece of shit better than anybody. And yep. uh, like, really, dude, you probably had a ghost in your house like five years ago, and now you're acting like an asshole. Like, I just don't get it. But yeah, it it, it definitely. Um, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, like Jaws two, where you know, it's like, oh. Do you remember that shark? Well, we might have another one. Oh, there's no such thing. Sharks, they're not going to come in and kill us again. That's that's just stupid. But it just kind of reminded me of, of that. And, of course, like, the, the mayor is now running for governor and doesn't want any of this to tarnish. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Like, um. <laughs> it's like in Jaws 2 when the dude is still the mayor. Like, come on now. Right. Yeah, y'all right. didn't learn anything. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Tyler, for joining us to talk about Ghostbusters 2. So um, where can our listeners find you, and do you have anything um, coming up that you want to plug? Um, you can find me on the Twitter machine at uh, Ty Liston, T-Y-L-I-S-T-O-N. Um, you can uh, find me there. I, I post like every two days um, whenever I can find time, but they're usually pretty cool. Um, uh, you can also find me at uh, nofspodcast.com. I'm one of the... Uh, writers there you can check out my new stuff i've got stuff coming up uh later this month that's going to be really fun for our uh uh domestic horror month there yes. at uh, nightmare on, on film street i'm going to be doing some cool stuff at, towards the end of the month so uh check it out awesome um so you've heard from us we want to hear from you what is your experience with ghostbusters 2 Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com and we might feature you on an upcoming episode. Um, you can also reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gaily Dreadful. And of course, tag us at Scarred Podcast if you want to talk about the podcast on Twitter. Please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Barnard for our artwork and to Sean Keller for our amazing theme music. Thank you everyone for listening and stay creepy. And until next time, powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>